Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. I always say revenue operations touches every part of the business. It is probably the most cross-functional role in the company, whether that is engineering, product, legal, finance, HR, IT, or any other team. We will get into your business. In this episode of the Revenue Engine Podcast, I'm joined by Robin Spencer, the Chief Strategy Officer at Clearbit. Robin might not be your typical C-level technology executive. She grew up in a small rural town, majored in psychology in college, and started her career in consulting. But don't let a small town backdrop fool you. Robin's role leading strategy at Clearbit sits at the intersection of go-to-market and product, and as Robin describes, is like a two-sided coin. You'll hear her describe strategy as the vision and operations as the execution and much more. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. So please take a listen to this episode where we will talk about data, revenue operations, and the overall customer journey. But even more importantly, we talk about being a female leader in tech, paying it forward, and betting on yourself. So super excited to be here today with Robin Spencer, the Chief Strategy Officer at Clearbit. Clearbit is the marketing data engine for all of your customer interactions, helping you deeply understand your customers, identify future prospects, and personalize every marketing and sales interaction. So welcome, Robin, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited to learn more about you and about what you're building at Clearbit. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let's talk a little bit before we talk about some of the Clearbit pieces. Let's talk a little bit about your career journey. You know, you spent time in different roles at Accenture as well as at Google prior to joining Clearbit. And I saw that you actually have an educational background in psychology, which is really interesting. Can you share more about your background and maybe your journey, you know, leading up to your current role? Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been interested in how people and particularly groups and teams work together. That's been sort of the common thread throughout my life and really particularly my career. During my consulting days, the biggest project I worked on took me to over 28 countries in a year implementing a SaaS product. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty wild. And I wasn't particularly interested in the technology, but I really, really loved working with people and learning how they work. (laughs) And when you travel to that many countries in such a short amount of time, you not only meet a lot of people, 
But the success really is about how quickly can you establish rapport with them? Because you're coming in and going, hi, I'm going to change your entire way of working. And oh yeah, by the way, we have one week. <laughs> and and I think it really was about learning to to understand people and, and build those relationships early. And that, that became true at Google too. I think, you know, I, I found in my time at Google, I, I was so nervous when I first joined that I wasn't going to kind of like fully fit or understand all the tech technical components and realized that the, the part that was common for me was that I got really curious about how people work and whether I was working with the team and in installing fiber optics in cities across the country or developing the philanthropic strategy that spans the globe, the most important unit of change came back to the individuals and how they work together. And I think, you know, part of it, I've always been a big believer that you should follow your strengths and your strengths and your passions. And when they align, that's, that's like the sweet spot. And I ended up honing that skill going to a, a master's program in social and emotional uh, intelligence. And I think that I, I credit that program a lot to helping me become aware of my own influence and particularly how we each have these opportunities in every single moment to move a conversation or a project forward or backwards, depending on how we show up. So I think when it comes to kind of how that led me to Clearbit in retrospect, in some ways it was it was a little bit serendipitous, but I think it was ultimately the opportunity to take those concepts that I learned and practiced on bigger teams and apply them on a smaller scale of bringing together all these different components of how people work together, how we can operate, how we can, how we can move at scale. And I remember my my first week at Clearbit, I was in this meeting and I caught myself saying something like, well, isn't there a team for, you know, we've got to go get approval <laughs> from that team and realizing, oh my God, there's like that team does not exist. <laughs> that team is me. Really eye-opening and totally daunting. I think the entire first year I was completely daunted. And and over time, I think one of the best learning experiences to date. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you. I can't imagine 28 countries in one year, the, not only the speed, but just the, like you said, you come in for a week and you have to very, very quickly, you know, understand the current state. You've got to build relationships. There's just so much that has to happen in such a short amount of time. So yeah. Kind of like, I guess maybe that helped prepare you for the startup world for sure. <laughs> I think so. You definitely learn to meet people where they're at because it's all different cultures, all different people from different time zones. And then you're dealing with your own time zones. Yeah, it, was, it was pretty <laughs> I amazing. Love that. I love that. Um, along this journey that you described, was there a moment in time or maybe an event that really helped, you know, sort of shape your career or influence your choices that you've made? You know, maybe it's a person or maybe a mentor, somebody mm. who's really influenced you. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, I think so much of my career was shaped by people taking bets on me before I realized that I could believe in myself. And I think the two that immediately come to mind, one, my dad was a builder growing up and he was yeah. really passionate about buildings. I don't think I've ever seen somebody get so excited looking at an old building <laughs> that everybody else is like, wow, that looks really dilapidated. And he's like, oh my God, that <laughs> building has so much potential and I think, you know, I learned from him that value of seeing potential in things that don't yet reveal they have potential. And it's so applicable to startups. You know, I think about that every day of like, mm -hmm. this thing isn't totally built yet, but there's so much potential there. I, I think about that every day, especially with my team. And I think the other one was a mentor that I had in college who had suggested that I join Accenture. So I never thought I was going to join consulting. I had never even heard of what consulting was. I was a psychology major who thought I was going to become a therapist or a psychologist. And, mm -hmm. and I remember her saying, I think you should really try this. You'd like solving problems. You like being around people. 
And I remember going into my final round interview, I was so nervous. And I got this one email from her, had no subject line. It just had four words and it said, go get Amar. And I think whenever I'm preparing for something big or stepping into something completely unknown, I go back to that statement because it was so much bolder than I felt in that moment. But it really helped me kind of step in of like, yeah, you just got to go get them. And, and, and I think, you know, when I was leaving Accenture, she wrote another one that was equally as powerful, only six words this time. And it was, don't forget to pay it forward. And I, I think about that a lot, especially as I step into spaces that I never thought I'd be to remember my roots and, and pay that forward. I, you know, I, I grew up in rural Vermont with parents who had never worked in corporate America, didn't own a suit. And, and I recognize I have a, <laughs> a lot of privilege and a, I got a lot of support through my career to get into this world of business that was just so different from my upbringing. And I'm, I'm really grateful and think it's really important to keep creating more, more spaces and pay it forward, especially for people who are not, you know, white males or, or, or kind of of the descent that you think of in business. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. And I definitely think a lot of the guests that, you know, we've had on the podcast have had some, you know, someone, a mentor, just somebody who's really said something or did something that really helped push them forward. But one thing that you said about, you know, someone who can really believe in you and kind of see you for your potential and kind of where you could be and what you could be versus kind of what you are. I love that. So let's talk about Clarebit a little bit. You joined Clarebit over two years ago, starting in a chief operating officer role and then moving into a chief strategy role. So what first interested you in joining Clarebit and how has that changed, if at all, over time? Yeah, such a good question. I mean, so first, for those who aren't familiar with Clarebit, we're a marketing intelligence company. So we help companies apply data to every step of the prospect and customer journey, which really means we're in the business of helping companies to accelerate their own growth. And that's honestly what got me here in the beginning and keeps me here today. I think first, I'm such a big advocate of data being applied well. It's such a powerful tool when we can figure out how to use data to drive forward action. And then I think second, I've just, I've always loved growth. I think it starts with that kind of background in psychology. I think you can lead from wherever you are and getting to watch individuals grow. Startups are so good for that. I think teams are successful when everyone can invest in each other's success. And that's what growing as a team means together. And then I think it's been so incredible to be part of a company where we get to support that for other companies, particularly small and medium-sized companies, use data in creative ways to reach more of the right customers and to accelerate their own growth. And, mm-hmm. and I think when I first joined Clearbit, I remember someone saying, you know, you, you're going to watch this company is going to grow you too. And I think all, <laughs> all of those things have been true. I've gotten to watch a team grow. I've gotten to watch the company grow. I've gotten to watch other, other customers grow and, and I've grown in that process too. Oh, I love that. I love that. When we first met, you shared how your role sits at this intersection, right? Of go to market and product. It's a really interesting place to be. And I actually think, you know, revenue operations, which is under your organization, like literally touches all of these areas as well. And as you know, I always talk about how no one in the company is safe from RevOps and we will touch your business and get into your business. So maybe can you share a little bit more about your role and your responsibilities and how what you and your team are doing to help really enable the go-to-market team? Yeah, first, I love that. I mean, it's so true. No one is safe from RevOps. It is so <laughs> the central engine of any team. I'm, I mean, I think for starters, I'm a really big believer that companies, especially high growth startups, 
need to be ready to flex and adjust org structure to accommodate the current needs. And I think the ways in which my role has shifted, even over the course of the last two years, is such a representation of that. And from my perspective, strategy and operations are so much, you know, really two sides of the same coin. Where we're headed is so much about our strategy. How we're doing that is the operations. What's the vision? There's the strategy again. How we execute against that vision, operations. So my my team really oversees and sits over both of those, which brings the alignment across all of go-to-market and all of products. So my team consists of our core operations teams, our monetization and new initiatives, our strategic partnerships team. And RevOps is essential for all of that. And it sits right alongside our strategic bets for a couple of reasons. Like you said, you know, our our core customers are RevOps buyers. And the role of which means that you know the role of our RevOps teams becomes highly strategic to both support all of the go-to-market functions and be able to really help them drive faster, better acceleration and execution, but then also to be able to collaborate and innovate with our product and eng functions to figure out what does the next version of this product look like? What is the, what's the best thing for the future RevOps teams? And I think as we're in the business of growth, accelerating our own company growth has to start from this centralized engine. And RevOps plays such a central role in orchestrating that and being able to meet every single team to help accelerate that type of growth. And you know, I think our goal is to create the best revenue operations teams for others to learn from as well. We're obviously still on that journey. We're not totally there yet, but I think we're definitely growing into that vision. Oh, I love that. I know your, your RevOps team, I mean, you're really customer zero, right? Your best, um, I guess, best vision of the persona and kind of what RevOps needs from a data perspective. Exactly. And that's what's the coolest thing about it. It really is. Yeah. So just because it means that, you know, when you're like, wow, it would be so cool if we could do this. And then the product team is like, oh yeah, let's add that. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's one of the cool parts about about being in the seat and catching things that you know other RevOps teams would also want in their in their for their orgs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can see that. That's a it's a really unique place to be, and you really do. It is very strategic because you have the ability to really influence the product roadmap, um, and influence the messaging, the marketing, and help to enable your teams and obviously using your own product as well, right? To try to help enable your your go-to-market team. So let's talk about data. You know, you touched on this a little bit before, but I think, you know, data is in abundance, right? There's so much data, but everyone is trying to get their hands on more data, right? Better data, kind of more meaningful data. And Clarebit provides this level of enrichment, right? Especially at the top of the funnel, but throughout the customer journey. So what are some of the things, you know, as I... I before I jump into this question, I mean, one of the things I mentioned to you, you know, as we were chatting is that, you know, I've been a Clarebit customer. I'm a current, I'm actually a current Clarebit customer. So I know the power of, you know, having that information and just that enrichment and how powerful it is for, you know, helping to really drive your prospect journey and your buyer journey and your customer journey sort of throughout the entire funnel. But what are you seeing companies, you know, doing right or maybe doing wrong when it comes to data enrichment and how they apply these data tools to their business? Mm, Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think you're so spot on in terms of the shift we're seeing and the role that data plays. It used to be that just having data was a competitive advantage, but now, given the abundance of data and everybody trying to get more data or better data and more meaningful, I really think it comes down to what you can do with that data. How can you mm-hmm. glean insights from that data? How can you take actions 
from data. That's where the value of data lies. And I think that's mm-hmm. both what we're seeing companies that are doing things that are really brilliant and those, and really, honestly, one of the, the kind of common misconceptions, I think one of the kind of, whether they're doing it wrong or just a misconception about data is that the most important thing about data is accuracy and coverage. Don't get me wrong, accuracy and coverage are critical. I would say that they're table stakes in the data world, but I think the more important question and the one that we aim to facilitate with our customers, as well as what we see our best customers doing for themselves is, what is it that we want to do with the data? Because the utility yes. of it comes with what can what can be done. And our, and our best examples of this, the highest performing marketing teams that we see are using that data at every stage of their funnel. So starting with that data to discover and attract more ideal prospects. So using it to target and tailor ads or uh, generate more leads to engage and capture those leads, revealing companies on their site, and then being able to shorten forms because of the data they have behind the scenes to 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 convert those customers. And finally, to enrich all of their core go-to-market systems from their CRM to their marketing automation platform to improve lead scoring and routing to really accelerate their entire motion. And our goal at Clearbit is to give you that full picture so you can optimize that entire funnel and have a data-driven impact at every stage of the buying journey. And, and that's really why we built the state activation platform that we just recently launched. And the concept behind it is really, let's take that data as your premium fuel and then also mm-hmm. give you the engine, the platform to activate that data where marketers need it, whether that's their email campaigns or their advertising or on their website or your backend systems and do it without engineering resources. Because early on, what we were learning is that the teams who got the most value from Clearbit, when back when Clearbit was just data enrichment, they were taking that data and building really custom growth engines to optimize their entire funnel. And they were doing that through being able to you know, send really interesting experiments taking that data kind of moving it through the entire parts of the funnel. And and what we've done today is build a data activation platform that gives marketers that one place to compile their data, use it across any system that they're using and not need all those engineering resources that some of those kind of the, you know, high performing marketing teams had just had those skills. Yeah, I love that. Something I think recently, actually, maybe it was this week or last week, I was actually saying that to somebody about the data that, you know, yes, it's so important to get the data, have all of this information in your systems, you know, make sure it's accurate. But the real question is, what are you doing with the data? Which is exactly what you said, right? It's the insights. It's the information that once you have that data, what business decisions are you going to make, right? How is it going to change your processes? How are you going to go to market differently? You know, those are, that's the real value. And I think, as you pointed out, I think folks get hung up on just getting tons and tons of data or just making sure that it's clean, right? And then it's it's really the, what are you going to do with it? Very powerful. Thank you. So with this increased focus on data, do you have any predictions, you know, for where the market Mm. is headed? Yeah, I love this question. I think one, we're seeing intent data pop up everywhere. Basically mm-hmm. the data to help you know who 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 is intent on buying, who is interested in your product. And I think that's going to become even even more relevant. And specifically though, just back to the point you're making of how effectively can people use that intent data as purchasing decisions get made by groups rather than individuals. And every company starts to use digital channels 
Mm-hmm. It's going to put a lot more pressure on marketing to be delivering seamless experiences for every prospect and current customer. Because I think buyers are expecting the interactions, whether you're on your mobile phone or on your computer, whether you're on a social site, expect that experience to be seamless. And the ability to not just provide that ex- that seamless experience, but then also to be able to cut through the noise and reach the most high-fit customers and leave mm-hmm. everyone else alone. I think as more as, again, back to with data becoming abundant, how do you use that to, to reach the customers that you want, but then leave all the other ones, you know, to go buy the things that they're looking for? And it, that's really what Clearbits focuses on. We want to help transform companies' go-to-market efforts. When customers come to us, you know, they only know a fraction of their market, really either who's already in their CRM or who's already on their email list. And we can help provide additional data points to help them identify what those current customers have in common. What really, what is what is their ideal customer profile based on their current customer base? And then help them to start to reveal other prospective customers that look like those best customers. And from there, again, with all of those great data points, being able to activate a bunch of different custom strategies, whether they're a product-led growth company or they're focused on account-based marketing or just on inbound, we can help provide the data for them to improve how they acquire customers, how they convert those customers, and ultimately how they're operating their entire revenue operations. And I think that that becomes key and that intent data is going to be so, so essential for, for where the market is headed. And then I think the other thing it's just going to keep changing the role of operations. I think mm-hmm. operations is going to become more front and center. I mean, Scott Brinker at HubSpot always talks about, he's been saying, we're going to be heading towards big ops. And, and that phrase <laughs> stuck with me. And, and probably because I love ops generally, but mm-hmm. I think I share that opinion with a slightly different take of, you know, as data becomes more relevant, again, going, going back to knowing what to do with the data, how to glean insights, how to take actions, how to pull it from all the different data silos that happen across a company. Be able, be able to do in a way that it's not just left to to data science teams or relying on that. And I think that's going to mean that being being able to have that operational execution prowess is is going to be something every single team knows and needs to know regardless of where you sit. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Big ops. I haven't heard that one yet. We'll have to continue to to champion that. Yeah. I love, I love the term. <laughs> so when we talk about revenue operations, you know, with revenue operations and revenue leaders, like what do you think we should all be thinking about when it comes to data? Like, do you have any advice, I guess, for fellow operations mm-hmm. folks? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record, but I think it's just <laughs> so essential. I, I think it's, don't forget to look up and ask, what do you want to do with the data? I think it's yes. so easy to jump to the immediate conclusion, like I need more data or I need the 360 mm-hmm. view of the customer. And, <laughs> and I think the better question to start with is, yeah, what am I trying to do with this? What's the business outcome I'm trying to drive? What is it going to help me understand about my customer so that I can serve them better? And when you know that information, then you can come back and say, okay, what's the data that I need to get the answer? Mm-hmm. It's so easy to jump to like more data is better. And I, and I just, I don't think that's always the case. I think pausing and, and asking the bigger business value question is going to help us lead to the right sources of data and, and 
and that's the advice that I think I'd give to any revenue operations team, regardless of size. Yep. Yep. I love that. I love that. So let's, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about being a female leader in technology, right? Because in technology roles, but especially in sales, I mean, women are still the minority, especially, you know, as you look at leadership and executive roles. It's crazy, right? It's, it's crazy. It definitely is. I mean, I was on a leadership call and I'm literally the only, you know, woman in the room. And I'm actually, I think that happens more often than not, but I think we're starting to see, you know, definitely a lot of movement and change there. But what advice, I guess, do you have for other women who are really looking to elevate their career and sort of continue to move up that ladder? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's four interconnected things that I picked up from other women who helped me in my career that, again, in the effort of paying it forward, I think are important to mention, which is no matter where you are in your career, no matter what title you hold or don't hold, leading from where you are, wherever you are, I think has been something that's really served me to continue to nudge myself into rooms that I didn't think I was supposed to be in. And I think as a connected piece, I think it can be so easy to kind of either doubt yourself or doubt your thinking. And so I often will say, don't outsource your thinking. Consider other people's perspectives, challenge you know what it is you believe, but also trust yourself and your experience because it's valid. And oftentimes, especially in these rooms where not everybody looks or thinks like you, you have to trust your own experience and trust yourself in that moment. And I think it comes back to then betting on yourself. I don't know about you, but I honestly, I think I feel like an imposter at least one time a week. (laughs) And I've found that the best way through that is to just keep going. And sometimes it means being like, great, I know this. And I, this is something I don't know. And being, being really honest with myself about where my, my own limits are and and where my strengths are. But I think Mm -hmm. then continuing to come back to betting on myself has been so huge. And, and I think it then leads to my final one, which is fighting for a better outcome for 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 all of us. And mm-hmm. I would not be where I am without people taking a bet on me. And I think it's so essential to do that for other women to build those, you know, to 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 make sure that we're not requiring, you know, women to build the same bridge or the ladder that we did, but instead like let them walk over that bridge or that ladder so they can build the next one because we want more of us in the room to That's continue right. to build the the diverse teams that we want and and bring the diverse perspectives that we need to, to grow companies. That's awesome. I love that. I love the betting on yourself. I mean, I just think that's so, so important because I see so many, you know, so many women and men, you know, doubting themselves and kind of not understanding the value that, you know, at any point in your career, any point in your experience, you there's always something, there's always value that you can bring to the table, whether you, you know, have a year experience or you have 10 years or 20 years, right? There's always something that you bring to the table. I love that. It's so true. Yeah, it's so, so true. I love that. So, so as I think about, you know, the revenue engine in this podcast, I always hope others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? Power that revenue engine. So from your perspective, what are the top things, maybe two or three things that you think all executives should really be thinking about today to drive revenue growth? Mm, yeah. Awesome question. I love this one. I think it comes down to two things, your customers and your team. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the number one is, and I, I just, I believe this so fully is that if you are delivering value to your customers and, and letting them lead you to kind of the next innovation or the next thing, 
the rest can take care of itself. It doesn't mean you listen to every single thing they say, but if you're continually focused and delivering value to them, mm-hmm. so much growth can come from that. And I think the same goes for, for your team. I think particularly, you know, in these, God, how many months are we into COVID of, of <laughs> like, it's just kind of crazy. I've like totally lost track of time in that sense, but yeah. taking care of your employees and and supporting them where they're at and inspiring them to keep digging in should be a top priority for every exec because you know I think it's so easy to 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 forget the people on the other side of the screen when we're thinking mm-hmm. about revenue growth but this is the team that's making that all happen and being able to inspire inspire them to go above and beyond every day I think is just is just essential. That's incredibly important. I love that. I definitely love that. Are there things I guess are there things that maybe you wish you knew earlier or maybe you might do differently if you could do it all over again? Um, yes, <laughs> I have a very long list, actually. Um, <laughs> but I think that's mostly a sign that, you know, you get stronger and stronger every day. But I think if I were to coach my younger self, <laughs> I would definitely say, trust your gut. Um, yeah. I think one of you know, the biggest mistakes that, that, that I've made came from the times I overrode it. Mm-hmm. And and then I think on a more tactical level, I think, and I think this probably applies to to everyone in a leadership position is you have two main jobs, which is to hire well and to give away your Legos. And I think especially <laughs> at a fast growing startup, it that's so essential. And I kind of, I cognitively knew that like, yeah, I think this is the thing, but I think when a million different small asks are pulling for your attention, being able to know how how to delegate and how to also, I mean, startups are all about some days you are totally the IC on things and you have to, mm-hmm. you know, be the one picking up up the pieces. But I think being able to, if you're if you are going to be kind of handling the small details, how can you also step back and be like, is it time to give away this Lego piece and have somebody who can really run against this? And you know, I I, I you know this just as well as I do. Startups do not stay the same week over week. <laughs> and okay. if you are gonna dig in and you know flex and admit what you don't know and and being willing to kind of like keep pushing, then then you definitely will. Uh, but I think I wish, I wish I had known some of those things earlier on. Yeah. I love that. Trust your gut and give, get rid of your Legos or give away your Legos. Yes. I love that. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> love that. that. That's credit to Molly. Molly Graham came up with that, that statement. She has a really good article <laughs> on it. It's worth looking at. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, so, well, thank you so much for joining me, but as we wrap up, And before I let you go, I always ask my guests two things. One, what is the one thing about Robin Spencer that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is that one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Mm, Yeah, let's see. Well, I sort of alluded to it earlier, but I think most people who meet me today probably would be surprised that I grew up in a rural town in Vermont. My graduating <laughs> class from high school was actually in a neighboring town and 24 students. Um, 24? No, 24. Yeah. Oh, 24 wow. students. <laughs> and there was no cell phone reception there. And I, and you know, I've had a few, few friends come, come visit and be like, Oh my God, this is where, this is where you lived. And, and I think it, it just, it speaks to my love of the outdoors and everything kind of out in the woods. Mm-hmm. But some people would be, I think, surprised to learn that. And then let's see. One thing that I want everyone to know about me. Um, let's see. I think it would be, you know, I care a lot about the little moments. And and the reason I love them is I think it's how we can build a better, more just world for everyone. No, where, no matter where we work or who we interact with, 
I'm just such a big believer that, and I think the world needs it more than ever now to start, Mm -hmm. start with those little moments. Oh, I love that. The little moments. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think especially with just the pandemic and just, I mean, just life in general, even pre-pandemic, right? I think things just go by days, weeks, months go by so fast that if you don't celebrate and really treasure those little moments, life just goes by really quickly. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Robin. I'm so incredibly grateful for your time. And I think you've given me so many great insights. And for our audience, I can't wait to just go back and listen (laughs) to everything that we've chatted about. But thank you so much. And again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for yours. It was so wonderful to be with you. 